All right, guys, so good to, to be with you. I, I'm just kind of sad that this is the first time I've been able to worship with you guys. I mean, I've worshiped with some of the leaders uh, before as we just gathered to, to be together and pray. But this is the first time on a Sunday I've been able to be with all of you guys. And yeah, it's just awesome. And so here we are. And then you're like, well, why are we talking about lament if you're so happy to be here? Um, <laughs> might be kind of like, well, it's, uh, why that? Well, uh, truth be told, it's because we just went through a series on lament at uh, Table Rock. And so JB asked, hey, would you be able to preach? I said, would it be all right if I preach on lament? And this is why. Like, why did we even choose to do a series on lament from Table Rock's side? It's because one day I was sitting there realizing as a pastor of a church or just even a member, I don't know that I could have defined lament. And then I thought to myself, I bet like I, I could sure like take a stab at defining it and probably be pretty close to defining what lament was. But then was I comfortable with lament? And then I come across the fact that when you look at the book of Psalms, one-third of them, one-third of them are lament songs. And that means three out of every ten songs that God's people in the Old Testament were singing were songs of lament. And I just thought, man, I want to I wanna know more. Uh, and therefore, then our church learned more. <laughs> like, uh, elders, I think this would be good. I think it would be really good for us. Cause here's, so here's what then I realized. I feel pretty squirmy about crying in public. I hope I don't cry today. We'll see. Probably, it's probably going to happen. Um, I don't know how you feel. But I don't know many people who love crying in public. And so then I thought, okay, if I don't love crying in public, how do I feel about crying before a holy and awesome God who knows everything about me? How do I feel about that? And um, I just wonder, like this, this afternoon, if I say this morning, just pretend I didn't say that and just put in, I'm sure this happens, I guess. Uh, so this afternoon, like as you're thinking, um, like how, how, do you know that feeling of like just awkwardness before God? Or like even more so, this shame, like I feel weird about this, God. I feel weird being vulnerable. And um, yet, like we know, here's what's so interesting. We all know that crying, this is from a book by Mark Vogrop, and he just notes like, crying is really, it's very normal and natural. In fact, every one of us, as y'all just found out for the first time, that when a baby's born, what's the first sound they make? They cry. Like, to, to, to cry is human. And yet, like, as I just thought, I'm like, man, but to be an adult human feels like to suppress emotions, at least that just feels like what I was hearing. And so then I thought, all right, let's, let's dive into lament. So here we are. That's why lament. And so we're going to turn to Psalm 77. And my hope is that we can at least get a beginning definition of lament. There's way more to say about lament than obviously one sermon. Um, and I'll just say from the front, not only is Psalm 77 just the, the key for me for this evening, but I was greatly helped by Mark Vogrop, who wrote a book called Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy. And then another pastor, Tim Kane, and they just helped, just other brothers and sisters helped me think about lament. And I was telling JB this, like people call me a full-time pastor, and I think it's more appropriate to just call me a full-time paster. Because I just copy and paste all day long. I'm just, just a full-time paster. Um, and like this is no exception. I just feel like I am just so grateful, um, one, to God's word, and then two, just other brothers and sisters who've helped me see. And so I'd love to pray that as we open his word, God would meet us, and then I'll read Psalm 77 for us, and we'll look at the text together. So let's pray. Father, what a gift to gather with these uh, saints. I don't know <laughs> in the depths of what's going on here. And yet, Father, I just know uh, the brokenness of our world. 
and the heaviness and the darkness and shadows that linger so deep and we long for the day when we're with you and yet until then, uh, we lament and we grieve. And so Father, I pray as we open your word that you would help us. Please help us to rightly know what to do with deep, dark, hard things. Uh, help us to know how to bring them to you. To bring our, just in, into your presence, the, the real, the raw, and yet come in your presence to be transformed. And so would you do that now as we read your word? Would you transform us? And as we look at your word, would you meet us? In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's do this. Let's read Psalm 77 together. Psalm 77, verse 1. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God I moan. When I meditate my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I considered the days of old. The years long ago. And I said let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? And never again be favorable. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said this, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up this world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footsteps were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Welcome to Psalm 77. I think you probably know now why JB had some somber songs to sing as we look at this text. I want to start by rereading the first four verses. And just, uh, what do you hear when you hear those first four lines. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God I moan. When I meditate my spirit faints. So when you hear those first four lines, it's, it's not hard to just see that this person is in deep anguish. I mean, the suffering is so deep for them. It's so raw. It's so real. They, got, they don't have any words. I, I moan. And so here's the first question. As I'm looking at this psalm, I'm thinking, okay, how do you reconcile? I cry aloud to God, the very first line, and then this line where it, it says that his soul refuses to be comforted and he cries aloud, but he can't even speak, and all he can do is moan. And so I think what's happening, I think the picture here is that this psalmist is coming to God, and the, the, the grief is so raw, all they can do is groan before his presence. They, I mean, they're, just, they're not coming up with words. They, got, they, they can't articulate 
but it's, it's deep in pain and suffering. And so he just moans. Which means that I think lament does not necessarily start with words. I think probably the most beginning part of lament is not what you feel or what you want to say, but to who you go to. I think that's where it starts. It starts to, I cry aloud to God. And that's therefore, step one, lament, is you're, you're not just grieving, you're not just crying, but you're doing so in the presence of someone, our God. And so that's where I think lament starts, which means that often it's going to be messy and vulnerable and awkward and like just groaning and moaning and just deep sighs of grief. And so uh, Mark Vrogrop in his book, he just simply says this, um, which I think is right. I think this, this psalm would warn us that silence kills. So even though they don't have words, whomever's writing this psalm, even though we don't um, know all of what's going on, what we do know is that they refused to be silent. They came with just whatever they had. And so I do think that's right, that when you've got deep pain, I'm talking about like just deep, like losing people, um, there's deep friendships that break, the, the kinds of grief that leave us speechless, I think um, this psalm is addressing us and saying, let not silence win. Because that's what happens, right? When, when like grief hits, what happens? You just want to clam up and you get silent and you're like, I don't, and, and you, you could just get so frustrated that you don't even want, you don't even know where to start and that would be the problem. If you don't know where to start and you choose not to start, I think this psalm would say, no, just start. Start with whatever you have. Just let it, let it go. So, uh, that being said then, this is, what I, this is what I'm picturing when I'm starting and reading the psalm. When I think it begins, um, this is, now again, I'm just pulling from another friend of mine, Tim Kane. I think that lament then begins by coming into the presence of the real God, but it also begins by bringing the real you. So when I define lament, one quick way that I define lament is bringing the real you into the presence of the real God. The real you into the presence of the real God. So I think you're going to see the real you come out. So let's just pick up in verse 5. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. So I think the psalmist is going back. And he's, he's trying to like recount his life. Think back, days of old, and he makes a diligent search. And what does he find? Here's verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Five questions. All of them raw. All of them real. Has God forgotten me? Has his steadfast love ceased? Is he not gracious anymore? He looks at his life and, and he's just, he's distraught. And you see the agony. And just the brokenness and the heaviness. Has God's anger replaced his compassion? That's how deep he's feeling. And so that's what I mean when I say the real you. Like raw. Now, I don't think, here's the thing, I don't think that the psalmist deep down in his soul, I don't think that what he believes at the very bedrock is that God's not gracious or that God's um, steadfast love has ceased. And I'll try to show you that here in a little bit. I don't think that's what he believes deep down. But here's the thing, I think it's what he feels. Which means um, that what is, is true is that you might feel something in the moment 
of deep suffering that isn't true. So you might feel something that deep down you don't actually believe, but you feel it. Okay, so um, like when I say the real you, so let me just just put it this way, see if this helps. Um, Like the real you. When you read a psalm like this, a psalm of lament, or uh, take like imprecatory psalms, those are the ones that are like talking about judgment. Here's what happens, right? We read those and it's raw. Like it's, it's really, um, I mean, these are stark and blunt questions. And so what do we, we, what do we often do? You often say, can we really, can we pray that? Is that okay? Uh, and so I'm talking to my friend. And uh, I mean, let's, let me, let's, I think this is helpful. Let's just look back. Look back. Here's, here's the text. Can we really say it seems, Lord, that your steadfast love has ceased. I mean, have you ever prayed that? I mean, can we, can, can we? Your promises have come to an end. <laughs> That's what he says. So the question is, like, can we actually pray that? And my friend says, I think it's the wrong question. The question is, can we, not can we pray that, but do you ever feel that? Do you ever have questions like that? Because if you've got questions like that, you have to pray them. So I think the question is, do you ever feel this? Because if you feel that, what do you do? Where do you go? What, like, how do you, how do you handle that? And that's where I think lament comes in. That's why I think we need a good definition of lament. Because when that comes up in your life and you start feeling it, what do you do? Where do you go with emotions that start flooding you with five questions like, will the Lord spurn me forever? Will he never again be favorable? Because here's the thing. If we, if we go down the route of, can we pray these kinds of prayers? And say, if we, if we feel like the answer is no, what are we going to do? You're going to suppress them. You're going to like pretend that they're not real. But they're there. And we, and we like try to, what do we, I don't know, we try to put on makeup and we think we're fooling God and it just looks ridiculous and, he, and we think like, hey, we've got really good makeup on as if God can't see past and we just pretend we can't feel those. It's not okay. So when, if you answer the question, is it not okay to feel something? If your answer is you cannot feel that, then you will silence it, or here's the better word, you will suppress it. So we talked about silence kills, and here's what I think. I think there's an even deadlier brother to silence, and it's called suppression. And the reason I think it's deadlier is because it's pretty subtle. Because it, it, it lives and feeds off of this, like, you can't feel that way, and so you try to, try to make it, so you, you pretend that you don't, and you, you shove it away. So I think silence kills and I think suppression kills, but here's what lament I think begins with. Raw, honest, real you. So lament, I think, is helpfully defined, at least one way, one aspect. There's more to say about lament, but here's one thing. I think lament is bringing the real you into the presence of the real God. Not the makeup, curated, Instagram-worthy, TikTok, like just polished you. No, the raw, the real. So here's, here's what I was thinking about. Um, I think we kind of know this intuitively, like this is what we'd want, but it's hard to do this in front of God or others. Uh, so if you're a parent, which many of you are, I know because there was just as many kids in this room as there are other human beings, and that's a beautiful thing. But here's, okay, parents, you get this like, no parent longs for their kids to go through like identity crisis, this big like deep hard moments, right? No one longs for that. Okay, but here's the thing. If it happens or when it happens, what do you want? Do you want your kid to pretend it's not real and not talk to you about it? Absolutely not. What's, what do you want them to do? Please come tell me. Like, please come tell me whatever the crisis is, whatever the broken, I don't care how ugly it is. Please don't hide it away. Come tell me. 
And yet, here we are with God, and all I'm saying is I think God wants the same thing. Whatever those raw, ugly, real emotions, he's just saying, bring them. Don't hide them. I know they're there, because you know, as parents, you're like, I know something's going on. And you just want them to bring it. And I think lament, therefore, begins by turning to God. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that we stay there, just like you wouldn't want your kids to just stay in whatever they're struggling with. So I do think it begins by bringing the real you, but we're going to get to what does it mean to bring the real you into the presence of the real God, a God who is powerful, who changes us in our hearts and minds. So we're going to get there, and we're going to get to like what does it mean to have unchanging truths, but I just think it's helpful to begin by saying lament begins with raw, real emotions. So let's go, though, to where the psalmist goes next, which I think is to begin to make a turn. I think he begins to move from the raw real and to start recounting things that he knows that's true about God. And I think now you are seeing this, what does it mean in the presence of the real God? You start remembering, this is not just me here, this is God. So let's pick up, verse, let's pick up in verse 10. This is what he says. And then I said, I will appeal to this. So like in response to those raw, you know, real emotions, uh, those questions, I'm going to appeal to my soul. To the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? Now that, that is what I think is at the bottom of the psalmist's heart. That's what I think he believes deep down in his soul. Here's why I think that. You get these, like you get the opening and he feels God's distance. You hear it in questions. But now he's making declarative statements. Not questions, but just statements. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Like you just hear the rock solid truths. God, I ask these questions. I'm so anguished, but here's what I know for certain. So, in other words, the psalmist feels things. That he truly feels, but he doesn't actually believe them deep down. So here's Mark Vrograp's attempt to capture that. He says this, Lament, it recognizes that pain and suffering, and we probably know this, pain and suffering often create difficult emotions that are not based on truth, but feel true nonetheless. So here would be the way that Tim said it in this one conversation. This is so helpful. But he said this, Our feelings are not always true, but they are real. Our feelings are not always true, but they're real. So I think you see in the very beginning real feelings, even though they're not true. Because what's true, when he asks God, have you, have you spurned me forever? Have you, has your love ceased? He knows that's not true, but that's what he feels. So, yes, um, lament begins with those raw, real emotions. But that doesn't mean that those raw, real emotions are what you believe deep down. But I do think, at times, if we're honest, it's what we feel. And I think we need to start there. You bring them. But you don't stop there. And you notice, because the psalmist didn't stop there, he kept going in this song of lament. And so, Vograp says it this way. He says, prayer in pain, this is lament, prayer, it's prayer in pain that leads to trust. And so, yes, it starts with raw, real, hard emotions that a lot of times feel like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to feel right now, Lord, but I, I, this is what I feel. Um, but it doesn't it stop there. Um, 
And so you see the psalmist not only just asking God to change him, but now you're going to see he's already started to do it. He's going to start preaching to his soul. Because in the presence of the real God, what he does is he, he gazes into the eyes of the Lord and he begins to recount things that he knows about God. To preach to these emotions that are real but aren't true and to remind his soul what's true. To get into the anchor. So, go to verse 14 with me and I think you'll start to see this. You are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. And so here's how the psalm ends. Um, so he's starting there and then he ends. He actually recounts um, like the, the Exodus and in Egypt and how that's happening. So he's recounting God's faithfulness. So listen, verses 19 and 20. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Okay, so here's, as I'm looking at this, here's what I'm seeing. He's, he's broken, he's grieving, he's confused. He feels like the Lord's steadfast love must have ceased. And then he comes in and he brings that into the presence of the real God and he starts recounting who this God is so that his soul would remember. And what does he do? He recounts God's faithfulness. He can't see it in his life right now because everything's so dark. And so he goes back and he recounts God's faithfulness. And he says, God, you, and he's preaching to his soul. God, your way was through the sea. I'm remembering, I'm recounting. You, You cared for your people through Egypt. Slavery and through this Red Sea. And you cared for them. So, when you're thinking about the real you, I don't at all want to say that you just stay where you start. That's not, I don't think, the purpose of lament. I don't think that it's meant that we just stay in our groaning and our weeping. Though we may be there for a while, it may be longer than you would want it to be, but I do think we turn. I do think that lament, and again, this is dark clouds of deep mercy, I think lament stands in a gap. It stands in the gap where you feel pain, but you know God's promises. And you recount God's promises of his faithfulness. And you remember that God is going to be faithful. And you can't see it right now because it's so dark. But that promise is coming. You know he will be faithful. And in between the pain and the promise, there's this gap. And I think that's where lament stands. And it begins by being real about the pain and then getting your soul to remember the promises. And so, I think um, that, that I think that's the way it looks. So, I, let me... Um, I want to give you an example of this and then, and then talk just a little bit about what might be preaches to the soul. So I think it's about, I want to say it was about seven years ago, I had an aunt um, who, who died um, and she was struggling with depression before, before this. And we don't have conclusive evidence, but it's likely that she took her own life. She was about to ready to be a grandma. And she's, of course, a daughter to my grandma, and a sister, and so I go to the funeral. And at the funeral, I'm, I'm crying. That feels appropriate, feels fitting. Someone says to me, Don, you cry a lot. <laughs> Which is kind of, it's still shocking to me that that still happened at a funeral, but that happened. Which, you know, doesn't add any help to the vulnerability of crying in public, like, <laughs> to that feeling. Okay, so, and, but the question, why? Why am I crying a lot? Well, because that's the real me. Like, I'm sad. <laughs> And then, just for you all to know in this room, what else is happening? What else is the real dawn? Questions like, Lord, have you forgotten me and my family? Have you forgotten my my cousin who's about ready to have his daughter? That's the things I'm thinking, I'm feeling. That's the raw dawn. But then I go into the presence of the real God and I say, God, that's what I feel. And I just bring it. It's just raw. It's real. 
But I don't stay there. I remind myself, oh wait, God, no, you haven't forgotten me. No, you haven't left me. And so I pick up words like this. And when I'm in those moments, I need, I need Bible. And so maybe Psalm 77, the end, would be for you in that moment. Okay, so that's me. Um, and then I recently um, heard this, um, this example that's just served my soul. Um, it's from a kid's book. I didn't know about this kid's book until a week ago or so ago. But it's called uh, The Moon is Always Round. I don't know if you guys have heard this book. Um, so the book starts, and I think this is just a good example of preaching to the soul. Like, what do you do when the shadow's deep? Okay, so the book starts. The, kid, the kid's um, just observing with his eyes and whatever he sees, and he's recording to his dad all of these facts that he sees. And so he walks out, for example. I'm just going to paraphrase the book, so if you read it and you're like, that's not what it says, just... Just go with me. Uh, this is going to be a paraphrase. But he goes out and he like sees the grass and he says, Daddy, the grass is green. Yeah, it is. You know, and then he like looks up in the, in the sky and he sees like the clouds. And he's like, Dad, the clouds are white and they're, and they're fluffy. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And then, it's, then it goes to like the nighttime sky and he like looks up and he's like, Dad, the stars, they're bright and, and twinkly. You know, and then he looks up and he's like, Dad, the moon. The moon is in the shape of a banana. <laughs> and, his, and his dad said, no, son, the moon is always round. So then the book goes, it, it keeps going, and then actually in the next pages, uh, he finds out that he's, he's going to be a big brother. He's going to get a baby sister. And so as he finds out, he's, he looks out the window, and what does he see? He sees the moon, he's like, Dad, the moon, it, it's in the shape of an apple slice. And he's like, no, son, the moon is always round. And then it, like, it goes by, and now his mom uh, is like, the, the belly is as big as like watermelon. And, and so he's looking at the belly, he's looking out the window, and he's like, okay, it's not quite as big as mom's belly, but dad, the moon is like a shriveled up orange. And the dad's like, son, the moon is always round. And then the book continues, and next the dad and the son are sitting on the couch. And the dad is explaining to the son that baby sister's not going to be coming home. And in the next scene, they're driving home from the hospital. And it's mom and dad and the son in an empty car seat. And the son says, Daddy, why did this happen? And the, and the dad says, I don't know. I don't know. But I know that God is always good, just as sure as the moon is always round. And then the book ends. Somehow, the dad has the courage to get up and speak at the funeral. And as he's standing and speaking at the funeral, his son finally gets it, and he calls out to the son, and he says, son, what shape is the moon? And he says, daddy, the moon is always round. Guys, I don't know what shadows are like just deep in your life. But I know, like, when those shadows settle and the moon is just so clouded in darkness and how dark and deep that looks. 
And when I mean, when we're preaching to our souls, I mean when you look up and you think there's no way that's round and what you have to tell your soul is no soul, the moon is always round. Like this brokenness is so deep and God, you are always faithful and I have no idea how that's going to play out right now. But I'm holding on to the fact that I know it's true. That the moon is always round. And I think we have to look no further than the person of Jesus to see one who perfectly displayed how this is done. So when you turn to Mark 14, what do we see? You turn to Mark 14 and you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane about to die. Here's Mark 14. You pick up in verse 32. And what do we read? Here's what we read. He said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. No makeup. Like, no, no polished version. No cute, I'm just surprised. No, raw, real. That's what you're seeing. Listen to what he says. Here we go, 34. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Not, I'm happy, I'm doing all right, everything's chill. Like, no, this is, his soul is so in anguish. He says, I feel it so heavy, I could die from sorrow right now. That's the real Jesus. Raw. But it doesn't stay there. You get the real Christ in the presence of his real father. So you go to 35 and 36. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So yeah, Jesus brought the real him into the presence of the real God, but he didn't stop with real, raw emotions. Do you see how he turned? He turned and he said, wait, my father is a good father. He could do all that he wanted to do. And so if he's going to make this cup pour out, this wrath to pour out, if he's going to do that, I want his will, not mine. I'm not just going to stay with the real raw emotions. I'm going to move to trust in my God in the middle of deep, dark sorrow. Now, we don't know that much about the psalmist of Psalm 77, but we know a lot about our Savior. And so when you see his laments there, here's what's so striking about those laments. That suffering was not for his sake, but for ours. The agony, the pain that he's feeling in that moment the drops of blood that he will sweat, those, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, line that will come, his death on the cross, that was for us. His suffering, his lament, his brokenness for us. So that you read this. This is Isaiah 40, it's 53. You know it, I'm sure. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Which means this evening, when we think about lament, what we know is that Christ endured lament and suffering. He felt the sting of death and he did so so that we might be declared righteous, so that we can come into the presence of the real God and receive grace. Which means that those in Christ get a lament 
And we get to finish the definition. If lament is bringing the real you into the presence of the real God, because of Christ, what that means is that when you bring the real you into the presence of the real God, that in Christ, the real God loves the real you. Despite all the brokenness, despite all of these ugly feelings in Christ, all of our sin, all of it canceled. So that when we come into the presence of the real God and we bring all the ugly, we get to hear not God turning us away, but God showering us with grace. That the real you would be in the presence of the real God, knowing that the real God loves the real you if you're in Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing. We're going to sing to this God and we're going to sing one more song of lament. It's a song I'm, maybe you know, but it's not um, incredibly common, but it's a song that has been a sweet gift to Table Rock in the middle of that lament series. It's called, Lord from Sorrows Deep I Call. And I think you'll hear why we're singing it. Because you hear raw, real emotions in the song. But yet you hear in the song, not stopping there, but singing and preaching to the soul to remind us of the goodness and the nearness of our God. To remind a soul that, oh no, the moon is always round. And in Christ, we are safe and secure. And so, um, we're going to sing this together, and um, I'm excited to sing it with you guys. Mm -hmm.